Uh, Ricky's going to come and read Genesis 21. So we're reading together Genesis chapter 21. So let's uh, read together the words of God. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse, a ch would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child. And he sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for, the, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and with his mother and took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me, or with my descendants, or with my posterity. But I, as, as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know what has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. 
Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this will be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there in the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ricky. I just love the Scottish accent so much that I wanted to hear a bit more. But it's good to hear. Thank you. In Genesis 12, God thundered a sevenfold blessing on Abraham. And the blessing in Abraham's day looked for the fulfilment of two main promises a promised land and a promised child. And since chapter 12, Both of those promises have been threatened by the foolishness of the patriarchs, been threatened by the wickedness of the people around them. We've been looking at Sodom, Gomorrah, the Eastern kings, remember those kings? And just as importantly, the bumbling efforts of Abraham and Sarah. And all of these threaten to frustrate or derail the promise. But what we have seen is they're God's promises and they can never be derailed. They're inviolable. And this morning we come to the partial resolution to the tension that has been building since Genesis 11:30, where it said, Now Sarai was barren and she had no children. How is it to be that Abraham will be the father of many nations? A great people, a multitude too numerous to count. More than the stars in the heavens or the sand on the seashore. When we see before the promise, his wife Sarai had no children. And as if to highlight the difficulty of God's promise, Genesis 16 verse 1, that's a little bit further on, says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. No matter how gracious God had been to Abraham, and he has been gracious, he spared his life everywhere he went. Despite himself, Abraham became richer and richer. When he lied to Pharaoh, when he lied to Abimelech, God continued to bless. But all of this blessing would be for naught if he and Sarah did not have a child of their own. So that's the background we come to Genesis 21. There are three headings in your Bibles. They're not inspired, but the headings are there, so I'm going to follow those this morning. There's the birth of Isaac. And then before verse 8, there is God protects Hagar and Ishmael. And then just before verse 22, there's another subheading, a treaty with Abimelech. So they already form my points and then I'll come back to the end to say what joins these together what's the kind of the common theme what binds these together Genesis 21 is the birth of Isaac 
And it should be big time, you know, you know sort of razzmatazz because of what, what, what has been building up to this. But if you look at the distribution of the verses, that's not what the majority of these verses are given to. How do these stories advance the larger story, the larger narrative of God's grace and God's promise? So let's look at the birth of Isaac, which Ricky read. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised, and so on. Up to verse 7, when it says, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would have nursed children? Sarah speaking, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. What is striking about these verses is they don't appear to focus on what you or I would think they should focus on. Imagine if you were making a film of this story. I think, I don't know about you, but I'm no filmmaker, but I probably would start up with a close-up of Abraham's face showing all these wrinkles. And then another close-up of Sarah. But the camera doesn't zoom in on their wrinkles. It mentions their age, but just to highlight what God has done. And the other thing that you don't see, if this was a film production, is the close-up of childbirth. Surely, if this is the birth of the firstborn, you, 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 know, you would have a lot of detail about the pushing and the pain of the birth of Isaac. How is this going to work out for a really old woman to give birth to Isaac? And then, surely, as it's kind of like a final scene, we would expect a close-up of Abraham with his wrinkled, leathered sun, sun hands holding the child of the promise and then there'd be a close-up of the baby, the child of the promise. And it would all focus on the baby and the crying and the tears and the precious sight of this newborn, the child of promise, to this old couple. We don't get any of that. But what does Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, want us to focus on? And three times it is mentioned in the first two verses. The Lord visited Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. As God had said, as God had said, as God promised. The focus isn't on the sentimentality of the event. It isn't even on the characters themselves. It is on the promise. It is on God's promise. It's been 25 years. That's, it. That's not quite as long as David's been your pastor, but it's not bad. It's 25 years since they left earth. It's been a long time since they've been promised this child. So the emphasis is on God delivering his promise. It almost can appear anticlimactic. There was more attention to chapter 18 to the announcement of the birth a year later than in the birth itself. Because the point is not so much on the details of a child being born, but that it happened according to God's promise. And how much we need that, my dear friend, today. God keeps his promises. And then we see an emphasis on Abraham's obedience. He named the child the name that was given to him, Isaac. I just noted this week, this is the only patriarch not to get a name change, by the way. 
Abraham became Abraham, Jacob became Israel, Isaac became Isaac, because God gave him the name from the beginning. Circumcised on the eighth day, the first time in the Bible, we have a son circumcised on the eighth day. So this isn't a story about babies being cute or labour being hard. It's about seemingly impossible promises coming true. That's the focus. And if, you ha- if, and if you remember what we've seen, Abraham had tried to manage the way to the promise all on his own. Remember attempt number one? Eliezer of Damascus. He'll be my heir. Abraham put his thinking cap on and he thought he had a way to get the son of promise. That's not the promise. He tried again. Well, how about the servant girl? We'll have a son together. No, that's not the promise. And the attempted number three, he almost ruined it with Abimelech in chapter 20, when Sarah is put into Abimelech's hair. But as we read several times, it emphasised Abimelech did not lie with her. So this is the child whom Sarah bore Abraham. The child from Abraham and Sarah. Yes, the promise has come true. God came through. Even when it looked like Abraham, Sarah, the nations, the enemies were going to thwart the promise, God did just as he said he would do. So that's the first section, the birth of Isaac. The second section is God's protecting Hagar and Ishmael, starting at verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, and then so on. And it ends up in chapter goes all the way to verse 21, where it says he lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. That whole section is God's protecting of Hagar and Ishmael. And what is striking is you can just see from the number of verses there are, you have twice as much about Ishmael as you do about Isaac, the son of promise. Why? Because no sooner is the child of promise born And he becomes the source of a tremendous conflict in the promised family. In verse 8, he grows and was weaned. And in that culture would be anything between one and three years old. And they have something of a party together. And on on this occasion, on the occasion of this party, Sarah notices the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, doing something she does not like. And Hagar is called here Hagar, the Egyptian. It's likely that this was part of the gift that Pharaoh had given to Abraham and Sarah when he lied and left with great wealth. He gave one of his servants. And I think the language is really deliberate, that Sarah has demoted Hagar. In chapter 16, she was a servant, a handmaiden, and now she is a slave. Maybe she's doing the same things, but has been given a more demeaning title. And Ishmael's name isn't even mentioned. He's the son, the boy, the child. And Sarah has such hardness of heart, she doesn't even call Hagar by her name or Ishmael by his name. She says, cast out the slave woman with her son. There is conflict, there is conflict here. What what happened that made Sarah so upset? Verse 9. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. Now, 
What is happening in the ESV, there is a footnote that says at the bottom, possibly laughing in mockery. And I do think that's the sense of the word. That often this word is used with derision. The same word used in Genesis 19.14, when Lot is warning his sons-in-law about the judgment to come. And they think he's joking. They think he's joking about the judgment that there is to come. So they laugh. It's the same word used in Genesis 39, 14 and 17 about Potiphar's wife accusing Joseph of coming in to laugh at her, to mock her, to hold her in derision. The same words used in Judges 15, 16, 25 when it says Samson after his eyes were gouged out. The word in English is he's brought in to entertain but it's the same word to laugh, to mock. So I think this is not merely laughing, chuckling. Ishmael, who is a teenager by now, and the baby Isaac, his half-brother, the child of the promise, it's not so much that they're laughing together, but there's a mockery that's taking place from the older son to his younger brother. And something that Ishmael does to Isaac that causes, gives derision, derision, so now me, Isaac is one to three years old within earshot of his parents. There's something that is said, confirmation of this interpretation is found in, Gen in Galatians 4.29, where Paul speaks of Isaac and Ishmael and says, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So there's something in what Ishmael did. Paul took it to be a persecution, a mockery, a derision, a scorn directed from Ishmael to Isaac. And then Abraham sees Sarah who feels threatened. And God comes perhaps in a dream and assures Abraham that this is all part of his plan. So off they go. They set off early in the morning into the wilderness with little more than bread and water. And what we see is the principle of election at work, that the blessing will come through Isaac. We see the principle of common grace, that even though Ishmael is not the child of promise, God still looks after Ishmael and Hagar. He promises twice he will make a great nation out of Ishmael. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. So the fact that Ishmael was a child of Abraham means he inherits a kind of blessing, even if it is not the blessing of the promised child. And they find themselves, Hagar and Ishmael, in a dramatic situation, in the desert, out of water. Verse 15, when the water in the skin was gone, she puts the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat opposite him, a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. Not so far that she doesn't know where Ishmael is, but out of sight. Why? Because Hagar doesn't want to see Ishmael die. She's sure that they're going to die. And Hagar doesn't want to see her son die. They're starving. They're thirsty. She says, I can't be here to witness my child die of thirst. You sit here, I'll go over there. And she cries out. Ishmael cries. God hears their cry. And there is a play on words. What did God do for Sarah? He opened Sarah's womb. What does God do for Hagar? He opened her eyes. 
Verse 19. God said to Sarah, you're going to have a child you did not know you could have. In verse 19, God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw a well of water. At the moment of desperation, God heard their cry. They live in the wilderness. Ishmael becomes an expert with a bow. They settle in Paran. In the desert plateau in the Sinai Peninsula toward Egypt, it makes sense. Hagar is from Egypt and she finds a wife from Egypt for Ishmael. We see here, unfortunately, that sometimes God's people are the persecuted. Ishmael persecutes Isaac. And sometimes, as much as we do not like to admit it, God's people do the persecution. Because Sarah says, get rid of the woman, the slave woman, get rid of her son. But God has mercy for the elect. And here he has some common grace, even for the non-elects. And surely we're meant to see that God is at work. Even in this situation where the Egyptian, her son threatened, is cast into the wilderness. Just like what will happen centuries later in Egypt, when Pharaoh is threatened with the death of his firstborn son. He expels Israel into the wilderness. God has mercy on his people. He shows his common grace to Hagar and Ishmael as they cry out. And our third scene is 22 to 34 and is a treaty with Abimelech. And all I would, if you see, listen, I'll come on to it in a few minutes, where it says Abraham says, I will swear. And then it also speaks about the seven you lambs. Abraham swearing. And then Abraham plants a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called on the name of the Lord. We met Abimelech, which may not be a first name, but a title, because it means my father is king, Abimelech. We met Abimelech last week, and here he is again, coming to Abraham, that they might strike a bargain. And Abimelech comes in the position of strength. He comes with military commander, so that may put Abraham on his heels. He comes and reminds Abraham that you're sojourning in my, in my land, so he comes with his military commander to Abraham, who is a wealthy, powerful man. He has his own burgeoning nation with him. But Abimelech comes from this position of strength and figures, now is the time. Let us make a covenant together as you sojourn and live in the land. Verse 25, Abraham first brings his concern. He says, your men have stolen a well. Here in the desert region, very little rain. Water is life. So someone to take a well is a, is a big deal. Abimelech immediately makes three excuses. Number one, I didn't know. Number two, you didn't tell me. Number three, this is the first I'm hearing of it. But he believes Abraham. Abraham offers the animals. They cut a covenant. They kill the animals. They offer them up. They strike a deal. They live at peace with one another. Abraham plants a tree, calls on the name of the Lord, and Abraham is allowed to sojourn there in the land of the Philistines. So... What connects these stories? What connects these stories? If we were writing this script in Genesis, we would do a lot more with the birth of Isaac. Much more on Isaac, much less on Ishmael. And honestly, what on earth do we need? Why do we need this treaty with Abimelech? Couldn't we have just said that they drunk and had wells and they were happy? Couldn't we have just made that whole section a verse? Wouldn't that have been better? So why these three stories in Genesis 21? What connects them? Let me give you two big connection points. 
The first is that each of these three stories focuses in on a literary technique. There's a play of words in each of these stories. It's not so easy in English, but it's clear in the Hebrew. Each of the stories has a central word which becomes the focus. The first is, in the first section, is sashak. Sashak. The word means laugh. You see it in going through to verse 9. Sashak. The Hebrew word for laughter. And it leads to the name Isaac. And you can hear it. Sashak Isaac. It means laughter. And three times we have the name Isaac, which means laughter. And three times we have the word Sashak, laughter. Verse 6, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me, Sashak. And verse 9, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. So the, in the opening word, verses, the focus is on the word Sashak, which means the one who was laughed at will have a child and laugh. The child of laughter is born to the woman who laughed. And in a turnabout of events, the other son will laugh at that son. Everything revolves around this play on the word for laughter, and it is Isaac's name. The second section is marked by the word Shema, to hear. Shema, O hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And twice in verse 17, and God heard the voice of the boy. Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy. Well, what is significant about that? Ishmael's voice isn't mentioned anywhere in the story. He is the boy, the son. But you remember what Ishmael's name means. You can hear it here, Shema. Because Ishmael means God hears. Shema, El, the God who hears. So even though his name isn't mentioned, his name is proving to be true, that God hears his cry. God heard the cry of Hagar. So as the first story focuses on laughter, Sashak, Isaac's name, so the second story focuses on Shema, Ishmael's name. And there's a third play on words, more intricate, more elaborate in the third story. Sashak means laughter, Shema means to hear. In the third section, there is a play on the word Sheba, which means to swear, to give an oath. Three times. Verse 23, therefore swear to me. Verse 24, Abraham said, I will swear. And then just three more verses where they say seven. And then verse 28, Abraham said seven new lambs. Verse 29, what is the meaning of these seven new lambs? Verse 30, these seven new lambs. Verse 31, therefore that place was called Beersheba because there both of them swore an oath. And if you look at the footnote, Beersheba means well of seven or well of oath. Sheba means both oath and seven and it is repeated three times. Three times you have oath, three times you have seven. And three times the word Beersheba is used, there's a play of words that this place, Beersheba, is the place of oath and it is the place of seven. It is the well where the seven lambs were slaughtered. It is the well where the oath was made between Abimelech 
and Abraham. And you see all the threes. You could count up how many times Abimelech is used, seven times. How many times Abraham is used, in English it is eight, but actually it is seven. In verse 33 it says Abraham, but it is actually he. And we're meant to see in these verses, laughter, hearing, seven, and oath. These stories come together. They each have this play on a Hebrew word. You say, well, that's interesting, maybe, or maybe not. A bit funny. Why do these stories come together? Why do we go from the birth of Isaac to the trouble with Ishmael, to Abraham and Abimelech having a treaty? The fundamental promise, the overarching promise, is that I will be your God. But in earthly terms, the promise was two things. A promised child and a promised land. And we might be tempted to think that after the birth of Isaac, we have made it. The son of promise has been born. The promise has arrived. And as if to dissuade us from that notion, these next two stories remind us of good news about Isaac. But the promise is not yet fully arrived. Because what happens no sooner than the promised child is weaned, there is conflict. The promised son is born. But it hasn't solved the dynamics of the promised family. They still have to deal with the reality of Abraham's scheming. They still have to deal with the fallout of Sarah's anger and jealousy. Isaac is here. Everything's going to be great from now on in. But it got worse. Have you ever experienced that? You become a Christian. You go home and everything gets harder. The promised child has come, but it hasn't made the promised family all bliss. And what about the next story? What has to remind us that just because the promised child has arrived doesn't mean that Abraham is relaxing in his golden land. He's still a sojourner. He still has to deal with Abimelech, the pagan king. Unless we think that Abraham and Sarah and Isaac finally reach their rewards, the last story reminds us that they are sojourning too. Do you ever find yourself on your best days, on your best days, even when your prayers are answered, still hoping for more? Wanting more, expecting more. Even the fulfilment of your dreams doesn't make that ache go away. No one wants to have their dreams unfulfilled. But you know what is worse than having your dreams unfulfilled? It's having your dreams come true and still finding out you're still the same person you were. And you have the same issues inside you. And you still deal with the same unhappiness. Abraham and Sarah, after all the longing, they have the promised child. And the family still has problems. They're still looking for their permanent home. Do you ever have this in life? Birthdays are bittersweet. Do you ever, have you ever had that? That long expected birthday? I had my 30th recently. But you, know, you, look, you look forward to it. You look forward to your 30th birthday. And you look forward to that day. Everyone's laughing because they know it's not true. But you're so looking forward to it. And the presents you're going to give and the meal you're going to have. 
And it doesn't quite deliver. That's not quite true in my case. But, but, but if you understand what I mean, it doesn't quite deliver. Or you dream of that perfect family holiday. Boom! Covid! Or you look in church history and these great times we celebrate of revival, reformation, repentance. They always come with controversy. You have some breakthrough for the gospel and something goes wrong. Some good news in our country. At last we can meet again. Something goes bad. Someone whispers there might be a petrol crisis. The government minister comes on and says there is no crisis. And then they accuse the petrol stations and there's no petrol in the petrol stations. You couldn't make it up. It goes from bad to worse. Petrol stations run out of fuel. The union goes on strike. There is no driving licences. There's no food on the shelves. There is no crisis. The promised child. But everything is not better. And there is a profound lesson for us. Perhaps Abraham and Sarah were meant to realise that the very best news of the good news had not yet arrived. And maybe in your life, you and I are meant to realise the feeling that even our best days leave us aching, wanting more. Maybe you were made for something more. Maybe you were not meant to find 100% satisfaction in this life because you were made for more than this life. You were made for something better, something far better. You know what Abraham does? He plants a tree. It reminded me of Martin Luther, by the way. What, what would you do if you knew the Lord was coming tomorrow? I plant a tree. Why do you plant a tree, Abraham? A tree? Why not buy a little flower? Why not buy a plastic flower? It doesn't take so much looking after. Put down a vase, you can see it. A tree takes a long time. But Abraham believes he has a God who will be with him for a very long time. El Olam, he calls him, the everlasting God. So he plants a tree, my offspring will see it. I haven't gotten all the promises that God has made to me, but I will plant a tree because he is the everlasting God and he knows what he is doing. And it becomes the focal point. Not that Abraham worshipped the tree, but at that place a reminder of the God in whom he trusted. And we know 4,000 years later that there was another child yet to come. There was another child of promise, my friend. And it wasn't ultimately Isaac, it was the Lord Jesus. And we know that the Lord Jesus is coming again. Do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus is coming again? And there is a kingdom that is here, but it's not yet fully the kingdom that it, that it will be. So we believe in the child of promise. And we live as children of the promise. And yet, just like Abraham and Sarah, there is something in us that says there is more to come. Do you believe that? That there is more to come? That the problems haven't gone away? My church is not perfect, though Abbey Green sounds nearly there. My family is not perfect. We certainly know our country isn't perfect. When is it all coming together? We look to Abraham. He planted a tree. El Olam. The God who gave Isaac. The God who sent Jesus. The God who is coming again tells you today 
to believe, to trust, to obey and to wait. May the Lord bless the word for his glory and for our eternal good. Amen.